The WBEN All Local. All Local. Produced by Randy Bushover. A daily look at what's happening in Buffalo, Western New York, and the world. I'm Susan Rose. I'm Brian Mazarowski. Outside, clear skies, 59 degrees in Buffalo. As an influx of migrants shines a light on immigration policy, will Congress finally take the, up the task of reform? WBEN's Brayton Wilson joins us with the latest. Congressman Brian Higgins feels the situation with migrants coming to Erie County is being properly managed between those in New York City and officials across Buffalo and Western New York. We have resettlement agencies, Jericho Road, Catholic Charities, International Institute, Jewish Family Services, who have been doing resettlement work for over 100 years. 97% of Americans are immigrants. So this is not a crisis, as some have tried to characterize it. This is a challenge that has to be managed, and it's being managed very, very well with good communication from New York to Buffalo. However, Congressman Nick Langworthy is of the belief this is the consequence of a broken, unsecure border and a broken immigration system in the country. With that being said from Langworthy, Higgins feels the immigration issue at hand is a product of Congress's inaction over nearly 30 years to properly come together on a bipartisan agreement. As for Langworthy, he feels immigration cannot be properly addressed until the southern border is properly secured. The whole purpose, President Trump came forward and supported a wall at the southern border so that we could secure that border once and for all. We got part of the way done, and then the Biden administration has unraveled the whole thing. The House Republicans have passed a border bill that would help secure our border, give our border patrol agents the tools they need to help secure our border and finish the wall. The problem we have is security at the southern border. How can we have an immigration policy if we're not even counting the people that come in illegally? Hear more from both Langworthy and Higgins on the debate of immigration reform in Congress available for you online. Brayton Wilson, WBEN.com News. All right, Brayton, thank you. We'll hear a little bit more from Brian Higgins as we go in depth throughout the morning here on WBEN. Today, holiday for uh, many people, not at work, uh, marks the Juneteenth holiday. WBEN's Max Ferry has a look at how it's being celebrated across western New York. This Monday marks a holiday known nationally as Juneteenth, and although the nation recognized it as a federal holiday in 2021, Juneteenth has been celebrated in grand fashion by Buffalo since 1976, bringing communities together to celebrate black culture, history, and reflect on the day when all enslaved African Americans were emancipated. Community coordinator Marnetta Malcolm provides some context into the significance of the day. The enslaved people found out that in Galveston, Texas, although they got emancipated a couple of years prior, enslaved people in Galveston, which were the last people to find out, they didn't find out until June 19th, a couple of years after everybody else was released. So it's a celebration of everyone that was enslaved finally being free. Eva Doyle, East Buffalo activist and longtime educator, explains that it's important that not just the African-American community are educated in the history, but the nation is, as this history hasn't been regularly taught in schools. And I had so many people come from the white community, and we just had a discussion. We talked about uh, what the, uh, this holiday means. So I think on Monday is a time for people to reflect, to learn for themselves and to talk to other people. You can hear more from the educators and community leaders at WBEN.com. This is Max Ferry for WBEN.com News. Thank you, Max. Three people have died in a head-on crash this weekend involving siblings in Cattaraugus County. 24-year-old Dahlia Klink died at ECMC Sunday. She was driving a car that was struck by her 21-year-old brother. State police say Evan Klink purposely crossed the center line and lost control of his pickup truck, striking his sister's car. Two other passengers were killed, a 6-year-old and a 17-year-old. 
Two others are hospitalized. It happened on Freedom Road in the town of Machias Saturday afternoon. America's top diplomat spending a second day in China for high-level talks. Matt Rivers traveling with Secretary Blinken. Chinese uh, Foreign Minister Qin Gong, according to Chinese state media, said over the weekend that U.S.-China relations are at their lowest point. And I think that that's for a number of different reasons. You've got ongoing tensions in the South China Sea and a more aggressive Chinese military posture butts it right up against the U.S. military presence there. You've seen Chinese jets buzz past U.S. warplanes. You've seen Chinese destroyers get within 150 yards recently of a U.S. destroyer transiting the Taiwan Strait uh, in international waters. All right, just some of the things on the docket. Matt Rivers reporting from over Overseas. President Biden heads to California today for a multi-day campaign stay. President Biden heading west, traveling today to California. First stop, a visit to a nature preserve in Palo Alto on the shore of the San Francisco Bay. He'll announce more than $600 million for projects to study how to safeguard homes and infrastructure from the impacts of climate change. Funding coming from both the Inflation Reduction Act and the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law. From there, the president will attend a pair of fundraisers hosted by Silicon Valley's elite. Dave Packer, ABC News. Okay, uh, so tracking that, we'll be talking a lot more politics. Steve Roberts coming up a little bit later on this morning at about 820. Well, there's a big fishing tournament controversy this weekend in North Carolina. I'm, I've started to become interested in these ever since that Lake Erie, yes. you know, weights in the fish. This one a little bit different. Rhiannon Alley reporting. A team lost out on a huge cash prize when officials realized that a giant marlin had likely been bitten by a shark right before its capture. Hundreds gathered as the fish was hoisted for weighing. It tipped the scales at 619 pounds. The crew of the Sensation looked ready to reel in the big prize, three and a half million dollars. But then... Okay, guys, let's talk about uh, the rules here for a second. Let me go get them. An official noticed the fish was damaged. Mutilation to the fish prior to landing or boating the catch is grounds for disqualification. So because the shark bit it and I guess it was wounded or an easy catch maybe, it was not allowed in the tournament. I mean, 600-something pounds. I mean, come on, just give it to them. That's a huge fish. (laughs) <laughs> that's got to stink if you're you like you don't think really think won. that much of it you just see this huge fish right and then you know that guy on the microphone goes all right you know everyone calm down let's see look this at the tooth rules. mark right here no thank you oh uh, my but gosh. that's crazy wow what are they supposed to do you know how are you supposed to right. know and what are you going to do like release it back in the water just gonna, i mean I'm, it's just bitten it, by a shark i don't think that's going yeah. anywhere i mean the fish was probably dead right yeah. by that point um well Another fishing tournament. That's something you don't really think about or hear about no. a lot, but uh, that's happening. In- the one with the weights, though. You're right. Yeah. Lake Erie. Oh, this, so at least this one isn't intentional cheating or anything like that. Right. It's more like bad luck. Um, yes. But it is still interesting. For sure. All right. And uh, also this morning, it is a slower start than expected for The Flash. I completely broke the universe. The Flash is off to a less than speedy start, earning just $55.1 million over the weekend. Let's get nuts. That's good enough to take first, but well short of the already modest $70 million plus expected opening, though it could pick up another $10 million or so on the Juneteenth holiday Monday. Welcome to the Element City. The animated Elemental also failed to impress. $29.5 million there, the lowest opening gross for a Pixar film in 28 years. Christopher Watson, ABC News. You know, it's summer, and when the weather's good, 
Are people really, yeah, I, you know, going to the movies that much? It's maybe 20 years ago, right? It was like, oh, dip into the movies, right. beat the heat with the air conditioning oh. in the movie theater. I don't think that's maybe uh, the case like anymore uh, now that everyone's got an AC unit somewhere yeah. in the house, it seems like. But The Flash, this was supposed to be a huge movie. It got great reviews. Um, I think if my son was like five years older, we would be, you, would uh, be you know, it. seeing that. But over would you the have seen weekend. it this weekend? I don't know. Probably not. It was so. Uh, it was nice. a nice. Weekend. I spent all of uh, Saturday ripping apart my front porch, so I was oh. hands were tied this weekend. I would have rather sat in a movie theater and ate some popcorn. It was that uh, <laughs> would have been a little more relaxing. I F- hope Sunday was better for you for Father's It day. was. It was okay. absolutely. Your exclusive WBEN seven weather forecast: mostly sunny skies today. Temperatures in the low eighties this afternoon. Tonight. Partly cloudy, lows near 60, maybe a stray shower. On Tuesday, partly to mostly sunny skies, few showers south of Buffalo with temperatures in the low 80s. With your exclusive WBEN 7 weather forecast, I'm Chief Meteorologist Aaron Minkowski. Peter Hunt of Hunt Real Estate joining us right now, and we're talking about a list that came out last week, Realtor.com, listing the 10 best real estate markets for first-time homebuyers in 2023. And making that list at number 7, Eggertsville, New York. Peter, um, aside from it being oddly specific to just Eggertsville and not like, uh, you know, Williamsville or Amherst or, or something like that, uh, what do you make of that? Uh, Eggertsville uh, being on this list for first time home buyers, what might make it attractive? Well, good morning, Brian and Susan. Uh, I, I actually grew up in Eggertsville, so I'm quite familiar with it. Um, <clears throat> we've been doing business there for 90 or so years, but it's a, it's, what what I think is a great thing about Eggersville, among many other things, it's 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 got a very diverse housing stock, but it's it's been historically a very high demand area. Even in the toughest of times, say in the early eighties or even in, in the Great Recession, the demand for that location was exceptional for a number of reasons. The school system is great, the public school system is great. There's a, a Parochial school system, which which also is a very strong one. Uh, the the streets are well maintained. Uh, there's uh, great parks. It, it's just it's just a wonderful, I think, very diverse community that that has been solid for a long time. And it's and there's an entry level price wise, which which makes it attractive to to even more people. But the nice thing about it is you've got that entry level, but you also have some of the finest housing. Uh, traditional housing in in the whole uh, all of Western New York, the roads that are come off of Main Street, for example, on on towards LeBron, Ruskin, Brantwood, those streets are are historically um, just phenomenal values, really, for very high quality real estate. So it's it's it has a long history of of a very a healthy mix of housing and also uh, the citizens. It's just it's just a wonderful community. Peter, broadening this just a little further, is the Buffalo area still considered a bargain housing market? I think that opinion is is getting a little bit old, um, <clears throat> mainly because we have um, seen a rapid price escalation, particularly in the last four or five years, that is, in terms of the percentage increase, is matching other parts of the country. But compared to, say, um, parts of Florida, for example, or parts of Texas where I happen to be right now, uh, we're still we're still a bargain. Uh, Southern California, uh, the Southwest, the upper 
uh, Northwest, or certainly even the Midwest, cities like Minneapolis are are more expensive than us. Chicago is way more expensive. <clears throat> even Cleveland is more expensive than Buffalo. So I think we've got still a pretty good position vis-a-vis the rest of the country, but the whole country the whole country has experienced a rapid price escalation. Is that, you know, taking away, all right, Buffalo might still be less expensive on average or compared to other cities, but on the whole throughout the country, are we starting to price out these, you know, this list is for first-time homebuyers, are first-time homebuyers uh, being left behind? Well, it's not just, just that they're left behind. <clears throat> There's no inventory. So, a, well, I shouldn't say no inventory. Inventory comes and goes so quickly that first-time buyers have to compete with a host of other first-time buyers and, and, and second-time, third-time buyers. So we, we get multiple offers on almost every listing right now. And in many cases, the, the house will sell over the list price. And then you couple that with rapidly increasing interest rates. <clears throat> We're approximately double what we were 18 months ago. And that makes it very difficult for for the first time home buyer to to get into the act. I was just thinking, you know, on this competition here. Remember when multiple offers were coming in? That's still happening, and are people still paying above the listing price? You wouldn't believe it, Susan. We we saw one one house in Rochester listed at five seventy five, <clears throat> sold for eight hundred cash, and there was an offer over eight hundred. We had and one, another another house in Rochester. We had 80 offers on it. So this, it's not slowing down. It's it's just, and, and, you know, you might say, well, gee, it doesn't pay to compete in that environment. If you don't compete, if you're, if you're interested in buying a home and you don't compete, then when do you, when do you jump in? What, what's the point in time when you jump in? When inventory grows all of a sudden? There's no good reason. <clears throat> I'm in a real estate conference here in Austin, Texas right now. And there doesn't seem to be any good reason that anybody can find for inventory to suddenly start to grow again. So a person who's thinking about buying a home has to really decide, I'm going to exploit my resources, I'm going to figure out how to how to put the, the package together, I'm going to work with a good mortgage consultant, I'm going to work with my family, and I'm going to, I'm going to do what I can to, to get that first house. And it's not like the, the other side of that, you might say, well, gee, there will come a point in time when um, – Houses will become overpriced and people will stop buying, but we're not there yet. And, and maybe that goes back to your question about uh, ours being a relatively affordable community. There are communities around this country where it just doesn't seem reasonable that people could keep paying multi-million dollars for the next house, the next house, but, but it still keeps happening. How do the interest rates play into all this? I mean, really, they don't seem to be making that big of an impact in the housing market quite yet. Well, they've made a, excuse me, a huge impact. They've made a huge impact because what they've done is to force people to really stay in their, their home if they refinanced at 3%. So the big impact is that it's just caused a, a, a somewhat permanent reduction in available homes. If you refinanced at 3%, how likely are you to sell that house and then jump into the market at 6.5%? when your payment may almost, may almost double. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. So people just, it's called a lock-in effect. They, they, they're locked into this low interest rate and, and they would rather keep the low interest rate for a long period of time than to sell that home and jump into the market at, at a higher interest rate. And, and this is fundamentally what's, 
what's causing problems at many banks because they have a, a mortgage portfolio at 3%, which in a mark-to-market situation must be devalued. And so we've got, we've got a situation here. We're kind of caught in a scissors. The Federal Reserve has said just last week that they have no intention of lowering interest rates. So we're, we're in this position we're in for some time to come. And I, I think it's just a matter of people making a decision. Is this, is this the wrong time or is this the only time when I, when I need to get into the act? It's a, it's a very perplexing time in the real estate world right now. And long term, I'm thinking for people that want to stay with their 3% mortgage rate, the effect would be, number one, low inventory, right? But there has to be other. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, the other effect, obviously, is that it's more difficult. That's the affordability thing that you mentioned earlier. Um, these are these go hand in hand. And then you couple that with the fact that banks are, are you know, they've got to scrutinize every loan application now. Uh, mortgage banks, uh, commercial banks, everybody has to look at, at lending as, as a very, very difficult proposition right now. One of the things that, that we look at, for example, is a spread between the fixed interest rates, the 30-year traditional 30-year fixed rate mortgage, and the adjustable rate mortgages. Usually there's a considerable spread, enough of a spread that people would jump in, take advantage of the adjustable rate mortgage, get into the house, and then, and then um, let, it, let it flow. But the, the spread is not that great right now, so there's not a great advantage in, in taking that adjustable rate mortgage. So we've got, we've got a... a Again, a very interesting set of circumstances right now. We have high demand, we have low supply, and we've got relatively high interest rates compared to a year and a half ago. But in a historic sense, even at 6.5%, these interest rates are relatively low. And I think that's fundamentally why we have uh, continued to see prices go up and continue to see high demand. I mean, some of us can remember interest rates of where there was a usury law back in the 70s that, uh, and before that limited interest rates to 8.5%, and people willingly paid that. And then subsequent to that, rates soared after they removed the, the usury laws in, in uh, 1978 in the Carter administration, and all of a sudden interest rates soared, and, and that 11, 12, 13, 14, 15% people were taking mortgages at that time just because they they wanted to buy a home. So it's it's in a relative sense, we're not – in the terrible sh- in terrible shape from an interest rate perspective, and people think it's so high. They're, they're you know they may have had no memory. They may have not have been alive when all these things were happening. So, I think we put it in some kind of perspective. It's not it's not as bad as we may think. That's the WBEN All Local. All new episodes are made available each weekday morning. Produced by the award winning WBEN Newsroom.